July 20, 1969, America held its breath as it watched two astronauts emerge from a capsule. The two astronauts, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin, were the first astronauts to stand on the moon. The uh, surface is fine and powdery. I can, I can kick it up loosely with my toe. It does adhere in fine layers, uh, like uh, powdered charcoal, to the uh, Back on Earth, Michael Menzel stared at the sky. He would go on to join NASA, inspired by the moon landing. I was nine years old, and uh, to put it, you know, put it bluntly, I was a child of the space age. I was born around the time that Kennedy set the goal for going to the moon. One of my earliest memories was watching the Gemini launch. I can't remember exactly which one it was. It might have been Gemini 5. But most of my childhood was spent watching us progress toward that landing. That happened in 69 when I was nine years old. So Mike Menzel um, is a Frederick County resident, and he got really into um, space after the Apollo 11 moon landing. And our very own Hannah Himes went out to speak with him. So Hannah's here to talk a little bit about her uh, internship with the Frederick News Post, and as well as um, her interview she just did. So welcome. Thank you. Uh, I'm Hannah Himes. I'm an intern at the Frederick News Post this summer. I'm a student at the University of Maryland. And today I spoke with Mike Menzel about his recollection of the Apollo 11 mission. He was nine years old at the time. So it was something that really awed him and it inspired him to work at NASA, which is something that he does now. Very cool. So clearly neither of us were around for the, uh, the moon landing. So what did he say about watching it? What was it like? Yeah, he said that he, something I thought was cool was that he walked outside shortly before uh, the walk and kind of just looked up at the moon. And I think that that was probably a really sobering moment for him, even as a nine-year-old. And he said it was a really great experience and he was interested in space even then. So it's just something to be awestruck by. I wanted to be, uh, when I was growing up, I, I knew I wanted to be either an astronomer or an astronaut or some kind of uh, engineer that designs spacecraft. And I you know, can honestly say I got to a happy medium of well, almost two of the three. Maybe even you know, I get to work with astronauts, so I got close to that. And I knew that um, watching our nation pursue a, a goal of, of exploration was something that just, you know, um, I guess, molded me. This is what I wanted to do. I wanted to be part of uh, this exploration. And, um, you know, when you were interviewing him, what was it like hearing about, you know, someone who got inspired by a thing like the moon landing to go become part of the group that made it happen? He was really inspiring because he actually wanted to be an astronaut and he couldn't because of his vision. It wasn't 2020. And so he kind of became involved in any way that he could and wanted to have a part in space exploration and I thought that that was really inspiring because he just wanted that was his dream as a child and it was something he wanted to pursue. All right and so was he able to uh, remember the moon landing pretty well? I mean he was nine years old. Yeah I think he was able to remember it 
pretty well and um he remembered being there with his parents and oh i i remember it vividly i mean i was glued to the tv even as a nine-year-old i knew what was going on um i remember watching walter cronkite most of the day i remember watching the landing i remember they uh, they announced that the eva the walk was going to happen a couple hours earlier than they anticipated which was great for me because at nine years old you know the, the parents weren't going to send me to bed but i was you know I was definitely, you know, struggling to stay up. And I do remember right before the EVA, I, we, my family was in Florida. We were on vacation. I walked out of the hotel just to look at the moon. It was a crescent moon that night. And then I walked back in, and a couple hours later, I watched on the TV. It was, it was great. It was, you know, I knew that this, even at nine years old, I knew that this was something that was, um, you know, uh, more than more than just historic, I knew that this was setting the U.S. as a place in history for all time. That no other nation had done this, and that forevermore the United States would be the nation that first put a human being on another celestial body. And was there anything in his interview that like really stuck with you? That was kind of that one amazing quote that you're going to walk away with. Yeah, he said that um, he remembered the moment as the moment that the United States became the only nation to put a man on another celestial body. And he also said that this is kind of the beginning of the pursuit to see if we're alone in the universe. And I thought that was such a important question that we are still seeking the answer to. And as he talked a little bit about where we are now in space, is it, you know, lived up to his expectations of a nine-year-old watching us go to the moon? Yeah, he, I mean, he's at his dream jo- dream job and it's something that he clearly enjoys, and he's working on the telescope that's going to replace the Hubble telescope. So I would say that he's living up to his nine-year-old potential, and he's excited about what the telescope is going to find, even if it's not something that will be seen in my lifetime or his. One of the biggest topics there are, or, or there is in astronomy, is whether or not we are alone in the universe. That's probably one of the most fundamental questions. And slowly but surely, uh, telescopes like James Webb are focusing on looking at the environments of these planets and seeing if they're, if they're habitable. Uh, we're starting to focus back on getting to, the, getting to Mars. And one of the things that I've always told my astronomy class, I've done a lot of teaching over the years, and I've always held the opinion that someday some astronaut on Mars is going to scoop up a sample, put it under a microscope, and he's going to see fossilized dead microbes. Mars probably, I think most definitely, had water on it at one time. And there's a thought that if a planet is like Mars with liquid water, knowing what we know about Earth, there's a real good chance that you'll find microbes. Now, you know, whatever microbes were on Mars are probably no longer alive, but I'm a believer that they'll find fossilized, fossilized microbes on that. And I hope that I'm alive at the day, you know, to watch this. When I was growing up, there was a very famous equation. They called it the Drake equation. An astronomer calculated how many possible planets there could be that sustains life in our galaxy. And he did it, and he had a bunch of factors that uh, described the probability. The probability of finding a uh, star like the sun, probability of finding planets around that star, finding that the probability of those planets could be habitable, blah, 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 blah. It goes on and on and on. And over the course of my life, I've watched each of those factors start to become very concrete. We know, you know, back when I was a kid, they did not know for sure that stars had planets around them. 
we know of 3,000 other planets right now around other stars, and we're starting to zero in on finding the ones that might be habitable. And that's kind of neat because I'm watching this old Drake equation start to, to converge to where astronomers are starting to really, really now have some, building up some evidence that we are not alone, that life might be a very prevalent thing in our universe. And I can't think of any question more, you know, larger than that, are we alone? And now that we're actually gaining evidence and gaining the tools to do it, I'm excited to be a part of that. Throughout human history, try to think of what the United States will be known for. We're, well, I do believe we're the greatest country going, but, you know, did we invent democracy? No, the Greeks invented that, you know, millennia ago. Did we invent the Industrial Revolution? No, that started over in Europe. You know, what is it that, that we invented? Um, it turns out that of all the things that the United States might be known for in human history right now, it's putting another human being on another celestial body. We were the first to do it. And it, it kind of proved that it, it could be done, that we, we can be space travelers, we can be space explorers. And in the large context of, of things, I think that's, you know, beautiful, beautiful. that's a pretty, pretty big achievement. Magnificent flight out here. Magnificent desolation. For those who haven't uh, read the plaque, uh, we'll read the plaque that's on the front landing gear of this lamb. There's, there's two hemispheres, one showing each of the two hemispheres of Earth. Underneath it says, Dear men from the planet Earth, first set foot upon the moon, July 1969. We now return to Earth and Frederick County. Mission of Mercy, a nonprofit that offers free medical and dental care, recently launched a new mobile dental clinic. I spoke with Executive Director Linda Ryan, who gave me a tour of the nude mobile clinic and showed me a little bit about how they can now serve more patients. walk you through. So Heather, this is our new mobile dental clinic. We have three operatories. This is Dr. Kellum's office back here. As you can see, we have all state-of-the-art equipment and it's nice and cool in here, especially a very hot day. So we have our portable x-ray equipment and um, everything truly is state-of-the-art. Because it is a dental clinic, we carry water on board. Of course, you need water for uh, dental procedures. Um, this area is for, <clears throat> this is our autoclave area right behind you, and this is where our, all the sterilization occurs. So we have uh, dirty on one side, clean on the other, and we have someone that does that all day while we're here. We have two other chairs as well. Um, one chair here, which is for our volunteer dentist, and at each of our sites, um, we have Dr. Callum, our chief dental director, and we have um, her assistant, who is also an x-ray technician and a driver. So that's our primary core group that's always on the van. And then we have at least one other volunteer dentist with a dental assistant. And then today we have a third dentist. So we're able to treat three patients um, on the vehicle. Um, when we had our old mass unit, which was like an army mass unit that we set up, we were only able to treat maybe six to seven patients a day. 
but now we are able to, you know, treat up to 14, 16, 17 patients a day. And here's Dr. Kellum. Hi, my name is um, Dr. Ro Roslyn Kellum, um, DDS, and I am the dental director for the Mission of Mercy here in Frederick. This dental clinic is a um, mobile dental um, unit that we are, in which we are providing um, free dental services to patients here in the Frederick um, community. Um, it's important for patients to get free dental services because there's very limited access to free to, to dental care for most patients who are uninsured, underinsured, who have no insurance at all. So we're here to provide free dental services to those who just can't afford the dental treatment. We provide here in um, the Frederick community. We provide um, extractions, which is is a great need of many patients because they just don't have the funds to go to a private dentist to um, to get an extraction, especially when they're in pain. No, if you need an extraction, you just come here, register, sign up, and we will see you as soon as we can. So over the weekend, Don Boyer, the longtime track and field coach at Middletown High School, died this week. Um, so Greg um, is here to tell us a little bit about who Mr. Boyer was and his legacy that he left. So. Thank you for coming in. Absolutely. Uh, Greg Swatek, sports reporter for the uh, Frederick News Post. And uh, Don Boyer uh, was a very passionate man about track and field uh, in cross country. He loved to run. Uh, he was a runner himself uh, growing up. He, he graduated from Frederick High School and then went to the University of Maryland, uh, uh, where, where he enjoyed a pretty a successful running career there. Uh, his, his times were very good in the middle distance and the, and, and the distance races. And he had such an internal clock that he knew his pace in his head. His his girlfriend at the time, who became his wife, Sharon, would time him on the weekends during his races. And uh, he would always tell Sharon that, no, she timed it wrong. That uh, She didn't time the race right. Because he had that internal clock that he knew how fast he was running while he was doing it. So he was just uh, incredibly passionate about uh, running and, and, and being in shape and, and track and field. And uh and uh, less than a year um, after he left college, he got his first co head coaching job uh, at Thomas Johnson High School, uh, where he took over the cross country team there. And they had success right away. They made they made um, the um, the state uh, tournament, the, the state meet uh, within his first two years on the job. And around that time, uh, Middletown High School needed a cross country coach. Uh, in, in a pinch, they turned it on. And since coaches weren't paid at the time, he was able to actually do both jobs, coach at Middletown and TJ, um, in the fall of 1967, and both teams made the state meet. So it was uh, really remarkable. Um, and uh, his coaching career lasted 50 years, so he did it a really, really long time, which uh, in indicates his passion, not only for the sport, but, but for his athletes, too. And so can you tell us a little bit about you know working with him as a, you know, as a coach, as someone who covers high school sports? Yeah, he always wanted to do right by the, by, by the kids. Uh, he always wanted to make sure that they were recognized uh, for their accomplishments. A super nice guy. Uh, he always uh, cheered for the underdog runner. Um, he, uh, he wasn't just about the most successful athletes. He just wanted everyone to do their best, whether they were the fastest kid or, wh or whether they might not have been the fastest kid. Don just wanted to see them improve and just give their best effort at, at every single meet. Just a really nice guy. Um, his his impact in the community is tremendous. I mean, if if, if you go to his house, there there's all sorts of letters and um, that he, that he and his wife Sharon have kept over the years from former runners and former athletes, and uh, and and they have a long list of of, of phone numbers of people that they keep in touch with. So just there were really just fixtures in the in the entire Middletown community. 
And so you mentioned, you know, how he had a very uh, successful running career, a successful coaching career. But what kind of uh, impacts did he make on the kids' lives being a coach for them? Uh, he would, if they needed help in school, uh, he was there. Uh, a couple of his athletes were injured um, uh, during uh, meets and stuff, and, and Don would be the first one to uh, go visit it. At the, in the hospital or at their house. So uh, he just really had a great personal touch. He was a very competitive person. He, he wanted to win all the time, but, but he really combined that better than most with a really compassionate touch, and, and, and he really cared uh, about, about the well-being of his athletes, not just their results on the track. And then you mentioned that at one point he coached two teams that went to the state finals. How did that work out? He did. Well, Middletown was in a pinch because uh, their cross-country coach at the time had to leave during the season uh, uh, to finish a military uh, obligation. So at the last minute, the school was left without a cross-country coach. Um, so Ron Engel, um, the late Ron Engel, uh, who had just taken over uh, the Middletown Boys basketball program, and had worked with Don at TJ f- for one year, so he knew him. He recommended, hey, Don is, is this great runner and this great uh, new track coach at, at, at uh, TJ. May, uh, see if he's interested in coming over to Middletown. And and since it was such a dire situation where they had to have a coach for this team and, and, and they didn't really have much time to, to find someone, that they allowed Don to coach both teams at once. So um, it, it was a remarkable achievement. The teams rode the same bus to the state meet. <laughs> so And did that kind of continue where he led a lot of teams to state finals? Uh, y- yes. Uh, he, he coached, uh, I think, 10 uh, track state champions, over 70 individual uh, state champions, um, he, he didn't do the two jobs for long. Uh, he, after, after that one season, at, uh, after the two seasons at TJ, he moved over to Middletown full time. So he only did the two jobs for one season just to help Middletown out in, in its sort of uh, emergency situation there. But yes, uh, and, and his wife Sharon too was actively involved in helping Don stay organized with the teams. Uh, she, she coached uh, some of the teams. And and they coached over five thousand athletes in their time at Middletown, and 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 uh, lots of team and individual state champions. All right, and so I know that you know you were the reporter uh, uh, reporting on him, but do you have any favorite stories of working with him or watching his teams run? Um, I I, I sort of covered Don towards the end of his career, um, so so I I I wasn't working at the News Post uh, for for the, bulk, for the bulk of his career, but just. Just his compassion for his athletes was evident every time you every time you um, you, you watched his teams compete. And, and again, he wasn't just focused on the kids that were winning and, and doing the best. Uh, he was focused on sometimes the kids that were maybe having the toughest time and and and, and, were, and were trying, uh, even, even even though their their results uh, weren't as strong as some others. So just his compassion was evident. He was always uh, very nice to me and very helpful to me. Uh, his wife Sharon was always very sweet to me. Uh, so just great people, and, and their, their impact in the Middletown community for 50 years is just, everyone knows them, they know everyone, so it's really just tremendous. All right, well, thank you so much for coming in and talking to us about this. Sure, and, and uh, this week on my podcast, the Final Score Podcast, we I hope to speak to some of Don's uh, colleagues and, and closest friends, uh, so we'll have more of a reflection on, on Don's career and his life uh, this week on the Final Score Podcast. And when so. does that come out? That will be out by the end of the week, I would say. So thanks, Heather. Thank you. And for um, those uh, who are interested, you can check out um, the final score at fmppodcast.com. Right, just where you find Uncut. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thanks. All right, so now it's time in our podcast where we bring Kate Masters on to talk about the wonderful 72 hours. So, Kate, 
What are you excited about in 72 hours this week? Well, this week I'm pretty excited because we're pretty much doing the theater edition. Um, if you've been following the magazine at all, you know that Colin McGuire has been reporting from the Contemporary American Theater Festival in Shepherdstown, West Virginia, which is a very big deal every year. And he has been reviewing some of those new plays and talking to the playwrights. And then on the local side, I have two stories in 72 this uh, this Thursday. And one of them is about the Frederick Shakespeare Festival, which is a new theater event that's launching this summer. It's kind of a return to form for the city, which used to host um, a Shakespeare festival every summer and actually had year-round programming until it left in 2012. And then the other story is about um, MetLab, which is obviously put on by the Maryland Ensemble Theater. And I thought this was a really cool festival that we hadn't really covered before. Um, It's a series where they invite and select playwrights from the region uh, to stage their unfinished work. And they're basically hooked up with a director um, and a professional cast to put on these works in progress. And then what I thought was really neat was that they're given two different stagings and they get to edit the work between based on audience feedback. So when you're talking about these plays that are in in progress, is it like a reading where people are just kind of sitting around and reading it or are they actually acting it out and doing stage right, stage left kind of thing? Yeah, so it's a staged reading, which essentially is like they're on script, but you know, they're, they're doing all the actions on stage. Very cool. And so is there a particular one that, or, or a director or even an actor that kind of stood out? Um, well, I, I, I'm previewing it, so I haven't seen it yet, but I talked to all the local playwrights. Um, uh, so I talked to J.D. Seivert, who actually helps organize the festival as well. And he's bringing in his unfinished work, which is a holiday parody called No Virginia. Um, it sounded really fun. It's basically about a single mom who is working to stage a Christmas party for her daughter and inadvertently ends up with a bunch of Santa impersonators who all have kind of, um, let's say, their own quirks. So I'm looking forward to seeing that one. And then I also spoke to a playwright named Lydia Hadfield, who's also from here in Frederick, and she's doing a show called The Peacock Lady, which is about a family who wants to start a business um, in a fictional town of Francis. And the, the, the building that they're hoping to rent is owned by this sort of mysterious absentee landlord who keeps it, um, you know, in very bad condition. Uh, and I spoke um, with Lydia, and then I also spoke um, with another organizer who said that it really reminded him of um, Ducky Row and some of the blighted properties in Frederick. So that one should be interesting because there's a real local connection as well. Very cool. And so tell me a little bit about the Shakespeare. Is is it being performed in a park or are they on a stage? Yeah, I'm glad you asked. So this one um, is sort of an offshoot of the Endangered Species Theater Project, which is a new company started, um, gosh, I want to say at least a year ago um, by a a local performer and producer named Christine Mosaire. And she's putting it on and it's basically going to be, there's going to be three productions, I want to say. There's going to be four productions. There's going to be the sort of capstone play is a midsummer's night a midsummer night's dream which is obviously a very beloved favorite then there's going to be a teen production of shakespeare in love um there is going to be a staging of shakespeare's other women which is a play featuring i mean it's not by shakespeare but it's a play featuring monologues um that are sort of imagined 
parts for all the women in Shakespeare's plays that don't actually appear on stage or get very marginal parts. And then they're actually going to do a reading of Macbeth as well um, that's going to probably be staged at Guido's. So it's just like a guy coming in and reading Macbeth. And <laughs> it's very sort of informal in this um, fun bar setting. Um, and it, the, the festival itself is kind of a throwback to the Maryland Shakespeare Festival, which actually started here in Frederick in 1999 and sadly left the city in 2012. So I was talking to Christine and she was just kind of mentioning how when she came to the city, she noticed that the, the loss of the festival, the original festival was kind of a void. So she and Aaron Angelo, who's a professor at Hood, really wanted to arrange something to fill that. Well, that sounds really cool. I mean, who doesn't love different variations of Shakespeare, especially one in a bar? That's probably a safe location. Yeah, <laughs> that's probably very safe. And I forgot to mention that a Midsummer's um, will be at Hood in their outdoor auditorium. So that should also be a good show. Very awesome. And so how traditional Shakespeare is this? Are we seeing only men in these roles? or No, actually, um, that's another interesting question. So they have tried to be, you know, as like gender equitable as possible. Actually, the, the character of Bottom, um, who, if you are familiar with Midsummer's at all, uh, he's the character who he's part of this sort of like ragtag troupe of actors. And then um, the fairy queen Titania accidentally ends up falling in love with him after uh, Puck replaces his head with a donkey's. So it's like a very convoluted story. But anyway, Bottom is like traditionally a male character and Christine initially cast it as a woman or cast him as a woman. Um, so you get that kind of gender bending role. Unfortunately, the actress who was cast had to drop out um, because she had an accident and so um, she wasn't able to play the part but she did mention that between cast and crew there's a 50-50 gender divide which is pretty rare for Shakespeare um, obviously in Shakespeare's time and then it's still not very common now. Well that's really cool and I have to ask what is your favorite Shakespeare play? Ooh, that's a hard one. I'm really partial to Otello. Um, That was always I think that it's just like a very tragic story and the character of Iago is very dastardly. (laughs) All right. Well, since we're talking about what you love, what did you love this week? Oh, okay. So um, what I loved this week is actually a new CBD store called Wander Hempco. And it opened up in downtown Frederick. um, And I thought it was very cool just because you know, we've already pretty much leaned into the hemp thing. Like, you know, the city is filled with places to get it. You know, you can get the oils at Common Market. I I wrote a story this past winter about how it was being put in coffee and lattes and smoothies. You can get CBD products at Serendipity downtown. So, you know, like it's hit the mainstream. But one thing that I found interesting when I was reporting is that there's right now a lot of debate about its actual efficacy and then its purity. So it's easy to find CBD products. It's not always as easy to know um, what goes into them and and how pure the products are. So Wander I thought was a very cute, um, you know, it's a brand that's been around for about a year or two. They sell their store, or they used to sell their products at Treaty downtown, and then they're available at the common market. And it's a group of guys who are very, very committed to providing some of the best CBD products that they can. Um, And they're also really concentrated on taste. One of the founders, Sage Wynn, is a former chef who really puts a lot of thought um, into the the edibility, I guess you'd say, of the CBD oils. Um, So I thought I just wanted to highlight them. And I also think that it's really interesting that, you know, Frederick has changed to the extent that there's a CBD shop now in the old Landis Jewelers store downtown. All right, so I know that you mentioned that CBD is in the mainstream, Mm -hmm. but for any of our listeners who maybe just don't understand what it is, can you give us a quick 
brief overview of what CBD is and how it's different than marijuana. Yes. So CBD is a compound um, uh, called cannabinoid, uh, which can be derived from hemp or cannabis plants. And cannabis plants are generally defined as plants that have a higher concentration of other cannabinoids, specifically THC, which is the compound that, that produces the high, right? Um, but most of the time, and the reason you're seeing CBD so much in stores is that it's more commonly derived from the hemp plant, which is a strain of cannabis that's specifically designed to have very, very, very low THC contents. So you're basically extracting it um, the federal limit is 0.03 or excuse me, 0.3% um, THC or lower in all CBD products. And so basically you're talking about really, really, really minimal percentages of THC or not at all. Um, so I, I guess to put it into like human language, CBD won't get you high. Like it's, it's mostly used, you hear it a lot. Um, it's actually been regulated by the FDA um, and approved for to treat epilepsy in children, um, some forms of it. You see it a lot, um, you know, as a pain reliever, uh, which is a, a big focus of Wander as well. Um, and, and, and another important thing to note is that the store is only using CBD isolate. So theirs actually doesn't have any THC at all. It's just strictly the CBD compound. Well, very cool. And um, just for people who are not maybe familiar quite with the Frederick area, where is this actually located? Sure. It's in downtown Frederick, so 27 South Market Street. All right, perfect. And so just a little bit about this What I Love column. What made you decide to start writing about things that you loved about Frederick? Um, You know, I think you the name of the game in journalism is that you're sometimes critical of things you know and you're you're pointing out problems um rather than things that you really like about the community in which you live so i kind of wanted to you know to do it for two reasons and one is that i just wanted to highlight things that are good in frederick and that i think are you know going into making the city a really cool place to live and then it's also kind of a way to keep track of new businesses or new events um you know that are going on in the city or the county that i might not uh write up for the bottom the main body of 72 all right now for a little bit of a tricky question walk us through your process real quick you know when you're looking for story ideas in terms of things that you love what catches your eye what makes you say i really like this um it's hard to say um a lot of times it's just you know social media is a godsend um and so a lot of times it's just you know like me following a lot of the you know the different programs and organizations and businesses downtown and i'll see something and i'll be like oh wow like that would be really really cool i like that or for me personally like i think CBD is an interesting thing. I tried it when I was doing the CBD story and found that, you know, like I can definitely see um, its efficacy. So I wanted to highlight that. And so mostly they're things that I think, um, you know, are really out of the normal, you know, happenings in Frederick and that should be highlighted and that I also think would be cool. Very cool. And so one last thing. Mm -hmm. Tell us about where you ate this week. Oh, yes. So I ate at a place called Capital Crave, which is a sports bar way down on the Golden Mile. It's actually right next to the VFW. Um, and I kind of mentioned it in my review, but I never really intended to review Capital Crave. It's not necessarily a place that like screams out, please review me because they do bar food, you know, and they're kind of a local favorite. But I just kept hearing about them. And it started when I did this article where I reviewed a bunch of local people pizza places and a bunch of people emailed me to be like how could you miss capital crave like they have the best pizza in frederick um and so I, I was sort of interested by that and then a ton of people have also told me about their chicken wings and just that they're like the best chicken wings ever in frederick county so i wanted to give them a visit and see if they lived up to the hype 
And I would say that they do. You know, they what I like about Capital Crave is that they do bar food, but they do it really well and sort of go the extra mile. So their chicken wings are really good, I will say. And I'm not even like a wings girl. Um, and then they also, their pizza is really good. Um, I especially appreciated the crust, which was really nice and light and airy, even though they don't have a wood-burning oven, um, which sometimes can be really helpful if you're trying to get a good crust. And then I was also impressed by their burgers, which use local beef source from Wagner's in Mount Airy, and I thought that was really nice, um, you know, that they're going the extra step to, to do that type of quality product. All right, perfect. Well, I'm kind of sad I missed out on this review. (laughs) I'll have to take you next week. Okay. Well, as always, you can always read Kate's uh, stories in 72 Hours, um, which comes out on Thursdays. You can also catch it online at fredericknewspost.com or 72hoursonline.com. Or is it just 72 hours? Yeah, I want to, let me see. I want to say it's 72 hours, but you can also just search for it under the news tabs on the website, fredericknewspost.com slash 72 underscore hours. Okay. So as always, you can catch uh, Kate's reporting on uh, the fredericknewspost.com. 72 hours comes out on Thursdays, and you can also catch it at fredericknewspost.com slash 72 underscore hours. Perfect. Well, Kate, thank you so much for coming in. Yeah, thank you, Heather. Frederick Uncut is produced by me, Heather Mangilio, and edited by Graham Cullen. The clips of the moon landing come from NASA. We'll see you next week.